Hello, I'm Radek. I'm Michael. And this is the podcast. A sounding more for interesting ideas and insights. We discuss books we read I want to share with you. As well as technology and productivity, which is what we do, working our app, Nasby. Or whatever else comes to mind. So today is a special episode because we record live from your home. From my home office slash no office. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> This is the famous Michael Slewinski office where no, normally nobody from the company ever shows up. But this time, Radek changed the, the, the course of the history to yeah. be the first employee here. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. It, it just sort of happened by accident. Exactly. So we are here in my home office, now office. And again, this is the first time my office has seen anyone else than me. So Yeah. Uh, today we had the design fight and we're both standing at Michael's standing uh, desk yes and it was really strange to like be next to each other and see this room from inside and not just through the one perspective i know through this imax behind the, this camera uh, yeah as i normally see it and it was funny because when we were discussing things mm -hmm. i wasn't sure how to talk to you whether yeah. to turn to you or just talk to the screen and you would see it on the screen anyway. Like <laughs> Yeah, it, it was actually really weird because it, it felt weird for me to turn to you and I mostly just watched you on the screen as I normally do, even though I was on the same picture. Yeah, it was funny. Yeah, it was funny. Uh, yeah. And it's also strange because like, I sort of knew it, but I guess I didn't fully internalize that this is a standing desk and you're always standing while we record the podcast or when we have the design fight. Yeah. Yeah. And my legs are not are not used to this, so that was difficult. Yeah, the thing with the stand-up desk is, is the fact that you have to get used to it. The first yeah. days are really hard, and because we as humans are not used to standing so much, we are we are you know um, we are used to sitting and yeah. uh, as as knowledge workers. But once you get used to it, and it's fine, then your legs know how to cope, and then you have the straight position and everything. And you're fine. Um, I don't stand the whole eight hours when I work. I, I, I change from standing and sitting and this desk can be lowered and um, made uh, and, and, and can go up and down. So um, it's uh, very useful and I like it. And especially when I hear, have my whiteboard here, it's for me like, you know, I, I can type something, go to whiteboard. I don't have to stand up to go to, whiteboard, type, uh, to the whiteboard. I can just turn, yeah. write something, <laughs> you know, and keep, I, I feel more like in action. Yeah, you do that a lot, actually. Yeah, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, so there's another reason why today is special, or might be special, we'll see, because it's the 6th of February. Look at his t-shirt. Yeah, uh, I have a Cosmos t-shirt, and if it goes well, then tonight, um, or, well, tonight, uh, Central European time, yeah. um, the Falcon Heavy will have its first flight. Uh, and Falcon Heavy at this time, if it launches successfully, will be the the most powerful operational rocket in the world. Um, yeah, launching so, for the first time. Yeah, launching for the first time. It's also extremely likely that uh, it will get delayed and delayed, and but hopefully by the time this episode is uh, published, it will launch or it will blow up on the pad. Probably not, but either way, it's going to be spectacular. Exactly, and yeah. and today we are we are we, are, we have scheduled uh, uh, watching it. Yeah, and that's why we decided let's talk about space exploration, right? That's right, and let's talk about the space exploration technologies company or SpaceX. Right, 
Uh, well, he's the guy who knows stuff about this, and he has the T-shirt to qualify him as an expert. Uh, and socks. And socks. Oh, and socks <laughs> as well, right? Uh, I forgot about that. Um, so too much detail. Uh, and in my case, in my case, I am this novice who is kind of interested because I've uh, I, I uh, I've, I've seen a few launches of SpaceX. I am following. Elon Musk's uh, career. I have read his biography, as we mentioned in the past uh, one of the, our past episodes. Link in the show notes. Um, so, um, so yeah. So I'm kind of curious, but I don't have that much knowledge. I'm not that curious. So it's gonna be interesting. Yeah. Um, so I thought we should talk about SpaceX a little bit, but from like with a um, the podcast twist. So we talk a lot about um, the way we work, the way we organize our work at Nosby, mm-hmm. and a lot of uh, what we do and discuss has to do with sort of efficiency and, and doing things differently, like how to do uh, things we're we're proud of, like how to make a good business while having, you know, few resources, like we are, it's not a big company, we yeah. don't have as many people, but we still want to make a great product. And, and a product that, that, that serves hopefully thousands and if not millions of people around the world. Exactly. And how to do it? Like it, it takes some creativity and like uh, breaking assumptions and changing things, doing things differently. Like the fact that we don't have an office; like everybody works uh, remotely. Like our companies do that too, of course. But but like like the uh, all of those little things that that we do like contribute to it being possible for us to be a small company and and still do uh, still make a, a good product. And the interesting thing is that. Um, SpaceX now a multi-billion-dollar uh, company, sure, and SpaceX right now has, uh, I believe, something like seven thousand employees. Wow! So it's not small, okay? But mm-hmm. um, it is really interesting because they make um, it's pretty much the only um, innovation in uh, in space exploration in, in rocketry in the last twenty years. Yeah. Um, and it started just as a very small company run by this. Um, weird uh, millionaire yeah um and yet it became successful and it, it it innovates it um it finally achieved um reusability yeah uh of rockets which wasn't really done before except for space shuttle but with a caveat which i'll get to in a second um and SpaceX launches, even though it's it's among the, the Falcon 9, so one-third of the Falcon Heavy launching today, hopefully, is one of the most powerful rockets in the world, and yet it's pretty much the cheapest one among the big rockets. Um, SpaceX sells its Falcon 9 launches for $62 million. That's mm-hmm. the price that you can see on the website. Yeah, and so like... Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so... Maybe in the future, right? yeah, exactly. Uh, well, it's um, it's it's comparable. So, for example, it's main like the only U.S. competitor, um, ULA, United Launch Alliance, um, sells the the smallest version of the Atlas V for ninety million dollars, and it used to be something like hundred forty million dollars before the competitive pressure of SpaceX, and that's a much less capable rocket. Once you upgrade it to be comparable to to SpaceX, it's going to be more than 200 or like 250 i think million dollars a lot of money so yeah compared to 60 60 million dollars it's yeah it's a lot more 
Yeah. Now, um, space shuttle, you know, NASA's space shuttle is probably the most iconic rocket of all times. Yeah, it was like, this, like a, like a, like a semi-airplane uh, and semi-rocket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a, yeah this, this big orbiter mm-hmm. on top was trapped with, with this massive orange, white orange tank and these two side boosters. Mm-hmm. And then it just glides back to Earth, right? Yeah. And the idea behind space shuttle was to achieve a simple and cheap um, reusable rocket system. The idea was that the orbiter um, launches and lands multiple times, and so it's reusable, so it's cheap. And there's this big orange tank, which is which is expendable, so it's only used once, but it's just a dumb tank. Yeah. And then the, the side boosters, which are solid rocket fuel boosters, so essentially they're, they're metal pipes filled with, um, with, fi- with extremely big fireworks, yeah. Uh, they would also crash land into the sea and they would be towed back to uh, port and refurbished and launched again, right? Yeah. And the idea behind that is that because we're reusing most of the elements of the system, it's going to be cheap. Yeah. But it never was. When you calculate the whole inflation adjusted um, cost of the whole space shuttle program and divide it by the number of launches, which was a, a big number, it flew for a couple of decades, right? from uh, somewhere in the 70s, I think, or um, early 80s. I don't remember exactly. And mm-hmm. uh, the last launch was in 2011. Um, so a long time, it had you know more than 100 launches. But still, when you divide it by the number of launches, the total cost, it comes down to $1 billion. But per launch or the whole thing? Per launch. Per launch? $1 billion per launch. Wow. Okay, that's... It's so, not more than $60 million. So yeah. let's just say the plan failed. Mm. <laughs> so like $100 billion like burned. Wow. Yeah, like 16 <sighs> times more expensive. Yeah. Now, of course, Space Shuttle had, capa- some, had some capabilities that, is, you know, that uh, Falcon 9 doesn't have. Sure, but, but the point is that um, for a, a, a launch system for cargo to the low Earth orbit, it's, just, it's, it's, a, it's a failure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though it, it flew for so long, but only because it's a government thing. You know, NASA did it, but it was heavily, you know, it was all subsidized. Yeah, but the thing is, you know, before before we continue, uh, like for a consumer like me, I remember how mind-blowing it was when I realized that really the rockets, the rockets are not reusable. Like I didn't, like I would, assu- I, I really assumed they were, they were before I, you know, started to understand the thing because mm-hmm. I, th- I thought, how can that be that the rocket launches and then it just, the integrate, disintegrates, goes to the sea and whatever, like, and, or, or, or just is being, you know, thrown as a trash on the orbit, you yeah. know, and then just goes, it, it sits there. So like, like millions of dollars of equipment, just, they're just going to be used once, mm-hmm. right? And then uh, I remember there was a, it was a joke or a, or a story like saying you know imagine that you're flying on the you know you're, you're flying from from uh, Warsaw to New York and then once you land in New York <laughs> the, the airplane disintegrates yeah. <laughs> and you have to have another one to come back so it's it's crazy it's like for 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 regular consumer regular consumers I guess like for me it was a problem that you don't realize how this works so so how how big of a breakthrough it is. To have a rocket that launches and the rocket that comes that comes back and just you know is being reused again. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, airplanes are not cheap. Um, a, a small, smallish plane like 
737 or Airbus A320 mm-hmm. cost something like 60 to 100 million dollars. So it's in you know Falcon 9 range. Yeah. And um, but and, then they are used for 20 years or something. Yeah, exactly. And uh, Airbus uh, A380, the the, the biggest uh, airplane on the planet, is something like three or four hundred million dollars. So it's just as expensive, but it's not a, a cost. It's it's capital, right? You, exactly. You invest it, but then. You um you amortize it over you know thousands and thousands of flights and on each flight hundreds and hundreds of of passengers and it turns out that I can fly to Spain for twenty five dollars exactly how yeah. amazing is that mm-hmm. right uh, but if you if you use a rocket once then it just it doesn't work but but the thing is like. It's it's not as simple as as saying hey let let's just reuse it because space shuttle tried to do it and it failed like mm-hmm. it was it was technically speaking reusable or I guess more fittingly uh, refurbishable yeah because it took a ton like it was essentially dismantled into tiny pieces and then brought back together okay so it was not cheap to refurbish it and launch again okay right but but then but now like you're starting to think okay so what's the difference. What what makes it such that SpaceX, as this you know small company, this entrant in this uh, in this industry, which was um, until now, it was all uh, government contractors. Yeah, NASA and everything. Well, NASA, but but you know, Space Shell wasn't built by NASA. It was contracted. Like the actual manufacturing was, and much of the 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 design and the details was done by companies like Boeing. Like Lockheed Martin. Okay, so um, the typical suspect, the usual suspect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like mm-hmm. big government contractors, mm-hmm. right? And some of the the differences in price just come come down to this. NASA is a big government bureaucracy. There, there's a whole complicated story of Air Force getting involved in the design of space shuttle and blah blah blah. And there's this whole thing about how rockets uh, designed in the past were built on a contracting um, basis as uh, cost plus um, cost plus basis with the government. So essentially oh. the government, uh, the US government tells you, okay, so this is what we want to achieve. You build this and we'll pay you whatever it costs you to build plus this extra so that you can make profit off of it. Uh, plus the margin. Plus okay. the margin. But And then there is no incentive to, to cut costs. In fact, there's every incentive to make it as complicated, as expensive as possible, and just use uh, negotiation to convince whoever pays you that it's necessary because you don't have sort of structural incentive to make it cheap. Oh, you're right. Yeah, that's true. Uh-huh. Yeah. But then there's a bunch of other things that make SpaceX very much different. Like this mindset completely changes when it's not something you contract when SpaceX is not a contractor, but it's as a company built from ground up, like from the initial hundred million dollars that Elon Musk invested in it. And like every penny that's spent on making the first, you know, comparatively speaking, tiny Falcon one rocket, like everything that, that goes inside it is like money from your, your boss's pocket. So he cares, mm-hmm. right. But, but it's, it's commercial. It's 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 like building a, a startup. Well, maybe not startup, such yeah. as VC, but a, a, a small bootstrapped company. Mm-hmm. A completely different mindset. And you start thinking about things completely differently. So, for example, uh, traditionally in aerospace, in, in, in rocketry, um, people thought of um, efficiency, sort mm-hmm. of raw technical efficiency of things. And, and you'd choose the solution that's sort of best in... In theory, 
right? Yeah. So for example, orbital rockets are generally have two stages, a big booster stage and a small stage on top that then, you know, separate and then the, the second st mm -hmm. stage ignites and actually takes it to orbit. Uh, and, you know, this is just basic math, like uh, uh, you need to have a big rocket, but once you burn through most of the fuel, you have a big heavy tank. So you just throw away the, the dead weight. And the burden. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then you have a, a, a small, uh, you know, a, a small rocket on top of the rocket. Okay. And generally, the first and second stage of rockets were two completely different designs. Okay. Uh, and some of it has to do with with history and like a, a different way of thinking about efficiency. So for example, the Atlas V rocket, uh, which is, you know, US main competitor, but it's built by collaboration of Boeing and Lockheed Martin. So it's essentially like a rocket built for the US government, even though it's, mm -hmm. it's sort of launched by a commercial entity. And the Atlas V rocket is Atlas Centaur. It's the Atlas booster and the Centaur second stage. And the Centaur has its own history dating back to the 50s. And so it evolved in its own life. And the idea when you're building an Atlas V is why build a new, why design this new second stage when we have this perfectly fine second stage that's, that's great. Okay. Right? But, but it, it comes from the, um, the, the mindset that it's already built and it doesn't matter how much it costs. It's already designed, it's built, so just let's use that. And another aspect of it is you generally use two very different types of engines. Yeah. Very often for the first stage, you have a big, powerful uh, kerosene engine mm -hmm. because they have a lot of thrust. So, you know, they have a lot of initial power. And then on the second stage, you would use hydrogen as the fuel because it, it, ha it, it will have generally... Um, you know, less thrust, it's like tiny engines, but it's very highly efficient. So you get mm -hmm. a lot of thrust or impulse speaking, you know, mm -hmm. technically. Uh, so, you know, thrust over time mm -hmm. per kilogram of fuel. Yeah. And, and the idea behind that is that uh, at liftoff, you need as big of a thrust to weight of the rocket ratio to mm -hmm. minimize what's called gravity losses. Mm -hmm. So every second that you're not in orbit, uh, you're sort of wasting part of your thrust because like you're thrusting up and the, the earth wants to bring you down. Yeah. So you, you want to have as big of a thrust to weight ratio, but then once you're in orbit, none of that matters. You, you don't have gravity losses, mm -hmm. right? You're in orbit. So what matters is the raw efficiency because building a hydrogen first stage is very difficult, mm -hmm. right? So, so that's the, the traditional mindset that hydrogen uh, second stage is better in like pure technical sort of idealized way, it's better. Yeah. But the thing is, when you start to think like when it's your money on the line to, to design a brand new rocket, it's insane because hydrogen is very difficult to, to deal with. It's, you know, liquid hydrogen is just 20 Kelvin above, um, above absolute zero. There is a reason why uh, I remember in, uh, in one of the expos when I was a student in the year 2000, so 18 years ago, I saw a working prototype of a BMW car with hydrogen engine mm -hmm. and still hydrogen engines are not the norm for, for the cars. And they won't be. And they won't be, exactly. Uh, yeah, and, and like cryogenic hydrogen is even more difficult. Like hydrogen, like hydrogen makes metal brittle. Okay. Uh -huh. If you pour liquid hydrogen into a metal tank, which is not super specially prepared, 
the tiny hydrogen molecules will find their way in between molecules of the metal and make it brittle. I mean, it's, it's super hard to deal with. Yeah. Right? And you have two very different designs of the engines. You have mm. to design two different engines with two different fuels. It's You're insane. Right. Mm -hmm. And SpaceX, like, they, they were like, like, no. Like, if we need more, if the second stage is not efficient and we need more, more power to achieve, you know, some um, payload mass to a higher orbit, we'll just make the second stage bigger. You know, mm -hmm. big deal. And we'll just design one engine and use it there. Now, the, the thing is that uh, for the second stage, you just need a, a, little, a little small engine. So what did SpaceX do? Normally, you have just one massive engine on the bottom of, of the first stage. But they were like, no, let's just design one version of the same engine. And just on the first stage, just let's just put nine of them. Uh, okay. Hence Falcon 9, because it has nine Marlin engines. Okay. Right? And it's, it's, it's sort of, it's not something that you do normally. Saturn V, the most powerful rocket in the history, had five engines on the first stage, but just because it was so massively powerful, like there was no other way mm -hmm. back then to do it. And, but this is like very unusual. And so the second stage of the Falcon 9 is inefficient. It has oversized engine, but so what? It works. And it's perfectly fine. And Falcon 9 is still among the most powerful rockets on the planet. And yet, it, it's, like, it does these things which are inefficient, but it's fine because you can easily scale things up. But you don't have to design two different things. Well, I like that because uh, the way they designed it, uh, as you said, there are, there are trade-offs. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, if they want to choose to have one type of engine, they have to set, you know, you know, settle for some trade-offs. But that's the thing. The question they were asking, you know, how can we optimize? How can we make it cheaper? How can we make, make it reusable? How, to, how can we make it, you know, the cheapest design, you know, so that we don't have to design completely different um, things? Because uh, when you have infinite budget, mm -hmm. you can create infinite number of, of, of um, engines, no problem. But if you don't, then you have to decide. And then, then of course, maybe then the second stage is not ideal, but if it's fine and if it, does, if it gets the job done, that's okay. Yeah, exactly. And like you can see parallels to what, what, what we do, that it makes especially a lot of sense for us when we're designing our app to strive for consistency. Like when we have a one like type of thing, like we can tweak it here and there and it's technically better, but like we can also save a lot of time, like development time, just reusing the same components over and over again with as little variance as possible. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right. And, I mean, and that's what we're doing all the time. I mean, this is why this is why we, we with such a small team can deliver an app for so many platforms. Mm -hmm. Because again, we are trying to get the best from each, but then again, find some common denominator. And of course, we're we're upping our game all the time right now. But but the thing is, you you are you. There are some trade-offs, but then again, uh, the, the the question is, you know. What's the benefit? What's the ultimate benefit? And the ultimate benefit, for example, in our case, for the customer, is to have a consistent, uh, a consistently working app. You know that, that that just gets the job done, and and that's the thing. You know, some people might like it, some people might not like it, but uh, it's our decision. You know, to to, to 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 do, and it is one of our decisions also not to grow our team exponentially just because we want to serve another platform. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and and so. And there just there's ton of little examples like that. Like SpaceX is like you know why make things harder? So for example, 
um, a lot of com- like LS5, the, the the big government rocket, right? Uh, is that the one that you have built on Lego, or is it a different one? No, no, no. That's at that's uh, Saturn V. Okay, the, so okay. The the one that brought us to the moon. Okay. Right, but the Atlas V has the the first stage, the 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 skin of the first stage, the big tank, is sort of built like a a massive MacBook Pro, mm-hmm. in the sense that um, it it's it has this this uh, construction which is called isogrid. So you start from a, a thick piece of aluminium and then you mill it so that it has a very thin uh, skin and then ridges in this isogrid sort of triangular shape. Uh. And it's it's a very, you know, it, it's this construction that's very lightweight and super, um, um, you know, it, it's, it's very rigid and strong for very little material. Like the unibody of the MacBook Pro. Yeah, like a unibody of, of the MacBook Pro, exactly. Okay. But except for being a MacBook Pro, it's like 50 meters long and three <laughs> meters in diameter. Right. It's super expensive to do. Yeah. It's better in theory. But like, again, like why? Mm-hmm. Just roll tanks from sheet metal, weld together, um, you know, uh, rings and stringers. Yeah. And it's fine, right? Mm-hmm. You can make you can you know make it longer so that to. Uh, to make for the lost efficiency, mm-hmm. it's not a big deal, right? Uh, so, so why sort of add additional things that's not necessary? Or another thing is um, uh, use of of new technologies, like um, in the in the Dragon capsule that brings cargo and soon astronauts to the International Space Station. Uh, th- there's these um, these Super Draco engines, uh, which are three uh, D printed from from Iconel, which is mm-hmm. this this super strong. Um, Metal alloy, right? Mm. And so, three uh, D printing is really interesting because on one hand you get things which are not as strong in some ways mm-hmm. because you're you're just you know you're you have metal dust and it, you're you're just whizzing laser across it to sort of make the pieces of metal stick together. Mm-hmm. It has some sort of structural flaws, but then again, um, when you have an engine, you have very a lot of like internal complexities that have to be there, and instead of making like milling or using other traditional manufacturing uh, methods to to make one hundred pieces that have to fit together, and then you, you need to you know weld them together or they have to be bolted together or mm-hmm. something like that, you can manufacture it in one piece. You know, there, okay. are, there are things you can do with 3D printing that you can't do otherwise, right? And so you use things which are unproven and, and um, you know, people who are conservative are like, you know, we don't know about it, sort of, it has flaws. And you're like, okay, you know, we can deal with flaws, we can, uh, we can work around it, but we can make it for much cheaper. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or a, a, another, like, interesting story. Um, Falcon 9 has a very unusual shape for a rocket because it's... And you, it's it's super long and super skinny, mm-hmm. and you think like it doesn't make sense. Like uh, from like, is it necessary for aerodynamics? That doesn't make sense. In fact, it's it's really bad at aerodynamics because it's so long that it's it's like uh, it's like a noodle, like at high speed through thick atmosphere. It's like a noodle, right? It, okay. it, it bends. You need like mm-hmm. they they literally need a few accelerometers and need to get the average to get the actual direction of the rocket because it bends so much. So that's not, you know, that's not ideal. So why is it so long and skinny? And the reason why is because those damn things are so large that they're difficult to transport. 
You know, mm -hmm. in the age of Amazon, we don't think about logistics, transportation as a problem. But when you have a rocket that's, you know, that's really uh, thick and really long, getting that from one coast of the U.S. to another is a big deal. Right. And so, again, as an example, the Atlas V, the SpaceX competitor, what they do is they have, I believe, a custom-built ship, mm -hmm. an actual ship. And they roll to you know they roll the uh, the rocket inside the ship and then it goes through the uh, Michigan no the the Mississippi River I'm yeah. not sure it goes from through some river to the to the bay and then it it uh, sort of goes around uh, America and gets to Florida and when you need to launch from California because that also happens you need to make a long trip through Panama to get to the other ocean and get to California. Right. That's pretty insane. So uh, Falcon 9 first stage is, the, is literally the largest possible um, body. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's the longest possible and the, the, the largest diameter possible that you can transport on the truck. On the truck? Just on the truck. On the road? Yeah. So, so that's why. So there you go. You're driving and then like, oh, here's the rocket for you. Hey, here's Falcon. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Wow. Yeah you know a, a truck and, and that's why it has such a suboptimal shape because you know what you can save a lot of money by not having your own little navy yeah could yeah true true yeah and this is the funny thing that which you said that in the age of logistics we don't think about it I, whenever i order something from amazon it just magically appears on my doorstep like mm -hmm. i don't think what, what like how, how many things or how many places are involved in in, in getting it and getting it to me mm. yeah that's true Another uh, thing about SpaceX that's really interesting and also very relevant, I think, to our industry is that with rockets, um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a large stake when you mm -hmm. launch. Because first of all, like, it's, it's really expensive to build a rocket. It's very expensive. Um, it, it takes a lot of time. And on top of it, may, you know, sits a, an expensive payload. You can have you know, a, a telecommunication satellite, like which it. is 100 or $200 million dollars. Or what if you have a one-of-a-kind, you know, NASA scientific mission, uh, which might cost one billion dollars, or a, you know, mm. or a, one of the U.S. spy satellites, which also costs, you know, five hundred or a billion dollars. And any mistake can just completely destroy the rocket. Like any yeah. small, you know, not thing not matching there can just completely destroy the whole thing. Yeah. No. No. Here's the thing about rockets. The reason why they're hard. Uh, is because the margins are very low. So in a, in a car, something like 5% of the mass of the car is fuel. Yeah. Okay. In an airplane, it's something like 50% of the mass is fuel. In a rocket, it's like 95% of the whole mass is fuel. All right. Okay. The Falcon 9, the, the, M, the dry Falcon 9 is something like 30 metric tons. And the full Falcon 9 is something like 560 uh, metric tons. <laughs> wow. It's... It's a lot of fuel. So, you know, in theory, you could, like, it's not that hard, you know, just to build something that can withstand, um, you know, all of the, the, the drag, the atmospheric, you know, things to, to build a rocket engine. You know, it's not easy, but it's not that hard. The, reason, the, the problem is to make it easy, relatively speaking, would to make it so heavy that it would not launch. And that's the problem, that it's, you know, it takes 10,000 things to be right, to, for everything to go right, and just one thing to fail, 
and, and the thing explodes. Exactly, the thing explodes. Right? Mm -hmm. And the rocket is gone, the payload is gone, and, and if, you, uh, if you explode too early, the rocket pad is gone, and it takes a year to, to, to fix, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So the, the stakes are really high, and so uh, that's a large part of the reason why rockets are so expensive, because you have to make everything perfect. Mm -hmm. There's no space for mistakes. But the way SpaceX thinks about perfection is is not just through like very bureaucratic red tape, you know, um, ten times checking every single thing and using the most expensive way of doing everything to triple and quadruple check everything, but they do a lot of testing. Mm -hmm. And and the thing is that if it's not testable, they they won't do it. So, for example, uh, in, in most rockets, the way you separate stages or you separate the payload fairing from the top of the rocket is using pyrotechnic bolts. Yeah. So pyrotechnic bolts is essentially a bolt that has an explosive inside. Dynamite. Yeah, <laughs> a, a tiny bit of dynamite, let's, mm -hmm. let's say. And once it's time to separate, you just, you know, you put uh, electric current through it and it separates into two parts. Mm -hmm. It's simple, it's perfect, we've done it for, for 60 years, it works. The problem is that you can't test it, it's untestable. Either mm -hmm. it works or it fails, and you have no way of knowing beforehand. All right, of course, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or for example, um, the, uh, the ascent engine of the, the, the lunar uh, landing uh, module in the Apollo program, the, the, the way the engine was built was also such that it was not fully really testable, right? Like it works or it doesn't. And if it doesn't, you're... So the only solution is you pray. It's yeah, a lot. Yeah, a lot <laughs> and hard, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and so they don't, so they, they don't do that. Uh, instead of pyrotechnic bolts, all of the separation events is done using um, hydraulics. Mm -hmm. Ah, hydraulic, right? okay. Mm -hmm. uh, there are no solid fuels. Everything is liquid fuel because you can't test solid fuels. Once you ignite a solid fuel, you just burn through it. You have no way of stopping it. You have no way of controlling it or throttling it. Okay. It works or it doesn't. So when you test a solid rocket booster, is you build a solid rocket booster, you burn through it, and then you build another one. <laughs> so it's sort of... It, you so know? it's not really a test, it's, it's, not really, it's actually a launch. <laughs> yeah, just on the ground, exactly. right? Uh, like on the side. Yeah. Um, and the engines uh, were built from, from the very beginning. The rocket engines were built such that they can be easily uh, and rapidly um, lighted again. And most, uh, even you know, liquid uh, rocket fuel um, engines are built such that, sure, they can be fired again but you know they can they have to be prepared again it takes a lot of time you have to like replace things uh, and even before you know reusing the whole rockets they, they built it from the scratch set, such that they can test it multiple times so normally the way you launch a rocket is you build the whole rocket uh, you do a lot of inspection and stuff but you build the rocket you put it on the pad you do what's called a, a wet a dress rehearsal Mm -hmm. So essentially, you do all of the steps, the procedure of launch, except for pressing launch, except okay. for actually launching, except for um, firing the engines. Yes. Okay. And then once you launch, you launch and it works or it doesn't. So you want to just like, the only thing you can test is if 
everything until launch works. Mm -hmm. uh, now what SpaceX does is they manufacture the individual engines and each individual engine is fire tested as one unit in, uh, um, in Texas. They just put it on the engine stand and they fire the engine. If it works, it's shipped back to California. They put the whole rocket together. They bring it to Texas. They put it on a, on a, on a test stand and they do a full, full scale, scale um, firing test. So they fuel it until the top. They do the whole launch procedure without launching. It's held by the clamps and it's really? fired for, for a minute. Ah, so they don't burn through the whole fuel? They burn for most of it. Sometimes they, they do like actual the whole fuel, which is wow. uh, two and a half minutes. Uh, but generally they, they do like 15, 30 minute fires. Uh, so they, they test all of that. They, then they bring it to the launch pad and they do a static fire. So they, uh, they uh, erect the rocket and mm. they do all the procedure. It's, it's like wet dress rehearsal, but they also fire the engines for like three seconds. So uh, it takes about three seconds for the engines to rev up to full thrust. And if it's okay, the engines are shut down and everything is good. And then two, two or three days later, they launch. So, so okay. every engine is fired three times before the launch. And then every uh, engine is fired the fourth time during the launch. And then uh, if it's brought back to, uh, back to land, three of the engines are fired three more times. Uh, for the boost back burn, the re-entry burn, and the landing burn, and um, or not the, the landing burn, but the, the, the central engine will be uh, fired the total of seven times for, oh. for one mission. And then if it relaunches, then it's going to be fired a bunch of more times, right? Okay. And, and it's built so that you can, you can do it. It's designed from scratch to be very testable. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And every component, like... Um, there's a there's a massive amount of of code like there's a massive amount of computer stuff in such a rocket yeah and all of that you can sort of hook up the the computers of the rocket into a testing uh, computer mm -hmm. which simulates all of the possible um, you know scenarios uh, you know throw in nominal uh, values throw in like test it with um, things that that are not right and test it just in a simulator, mm -hmm. test it connected to the actual rocket, and then test all of that. Like just everything is tested a lot of times. And you know, software testing, like everybody in rocketry does it, sort of, but then you have just ridiculous failures, such as a rocket launching for the wrong inclination because they normally launch it from this pad, and they, this time they launched it from that pad and the rocket did not realize that it's from a different position on the planet. Like just, just silly things. They're just ridiculous mistakes that are made. There was a, Ru there was a Russian Proton um, uh, mm -hmm. rocket launch which failed and sort of flipped around and crashed into the ground because some, uh, some technician accidentally mounted the accelerometer upside down. Really? Yeah. Literally. Wow. And they didn't catch it because... They don't test. They don't, they don't test. So, uh, yeah. so this is like a very important argument for us also in the software. Yeah. Like, like we, all, we tend to neglect testing. Yeah. And, and we tend to, when we, when we build software and we build uh, apps, we think, you know, it's going to work. It's going to be fine. But as, and the, the more complex the application gets, the more complex the software gets, the, test, the more testing is important because, you know, you, th you fix one thing here and you have no clue 
for some reason, or you just didn't know, or the person who, who did that they didn't understand the whole concept of the application, that it impacts the other part of a application. And suddenly, a strange feature doesn't work because the other feature was new, right? It was mm -hmm. introduced. So, so it's really, um, uh, it's really important <laughs> that we that we embrace it even more. And the reason why most software is poorly tested is because if you if you just write spaghetti code and then think about you know i think we're it's time to to be serious about testing yeah good luck because okay. mm. the way it's designed from scratch uh well the way it was designed sort of ad hoc makes it very difficult to mm. add tests that's not test exactly if only when you think about testing from the very scratch will it be easy and mm. cheap to test a lot, test everything, because the way you think about structuring code is just very conducive to just hooking up tests, mm -hmm. right? And most code is not written like that. Yeah, and of course you can argue that you know that what the code that we build, you know, it's not you know rocket science, right? And so so it's not going to explode or it's not going to. Yeah, it's not. But on the other hand, like in in our case, we have um, you know half a million users right now, so they're like. Pretty like, like in the last last year, I, I think I think 50, fifteen or uh, I don't know fifteen million tasks were done by our users or more. So there is stuff that yeah. can go wrong, or that you know you don't want a task from one user to show to show up for another user or something like that, or you you don't want random tasks to be disappearing from your inbox or something like that. You you really want to make sure that you know this this is like. In our case, our software is pretty mission critical. Like people, people plan their days yeah, yeah, with our yeah. software. They, they, they wake up in the morning, they open Nosby, and they start planning their day. So it better work. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's not that what we do is not complex compared to rockets. Mm -hmm. It's just that with rockets, the margin is so small and it's so expensive to build. It takes so much time that it's super hard, hard to do. Like in, in many respects, rockets are not that hard. It's only because you have to make everything perfect that they're so hard. And 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 of course, and the blow up is so spectacular. Yeah. It's, it's the same. It's the same with flights. You know, like so many people are still afraid of flying, which is completely ridiculous. Yeah. Like last year in 2017, it was the first year when when no commercial airline ever uh, had an accident yeah. ever in the whole world of millions of millions of, of flights. So that's amazing. That's amazing. This this is an amazing feat. And when you think about that, and you go and you, I prefer to drive, and you see how many accidents are there. <laughs> it's like there's there's no comparison. But yet, if one airplane goes down, it's so spectacular that it scares the, the hell out of people, and and it, it makes such an impact. Uh, whereas you know, um, small accident of a car, like even if people died. Nobody cares because there are so many. Yeah, and and um, most accidents in software, like software, is riddled with accidents. It's just most of them are so low stakes. Exactly. That it, it's easy to you to, to fix them. You know. Yeah. yeah. It's it's not a big deal, which which makes our job much easier and sort of more fun because you can play around with things and and you know in most aspects except for security and stuff. If it fails, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. Right. But when from the very beginning you think about it not in terms of sort of raw, technical, idealized perfection, mm -hmm. uh, but you're pragmatic, you you cut corners in a smart way such that you do think that in the end we'll make the same result just as you know scaling the rocket instead of using a better second stage engine. Like, mm -hmm. The end result will be uh, will be just, just the same, but it's be much cheaper, much simpler, much easier, right? And when you embrace uh, testing, when you embrace the idea of just simple 
simple reusable solutions, um, it's going to it's going to be much easier. And then like another thing that uh, that makes software um, much easier to, to do, and what what SpaceX strives for is sort of economies of scale. Yeah. Right. Like like with the the, the engines, each Falcon Nine flight tests ten engines in flight. Yeah. Okay, so when they've had something like 40, more than 40 flights in total, yeah, 40, it's like 400 engine tests. Yeah, and, and because it's the same engine, yeah, they can just you know make it really perfect or near to perfect. Yeah, and even though in some respects the Falcon 9 engine is very just simple design, it's sort of primitive in some ways. In other ways, it's one of the most perfected, um, most efficient rocket engines on the planet. And the reason why is because it's reusable rapidly, it's it's easy to relight, it's so testable, and because they just put nine of the same engines instead of making one better engine, mm-hmm. um, they, they test so many of them that they have so much data that they can push the the boundaries further and further. And like the Falcon 9 rocket gets better with software updates. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. Yeah. Like, Sometimes their they their capabilities just go higher just because they gathered enough data to have a, you know a large amount of confidence that they can just by tweaking software uh, like the, the the you know tweaking valves uh, they can increase thrust and still be safe. Tell this to my car. <laughs> I have one of the newest cars and it's got lots of software, lots of things. It's got the for example the CarPlay, the Apple CarPlay. And Apple CarPlay sometimes works. Yeah. Okay. Very often works, but but also sometimes it doesn't work. And I'm always thinking, yeah, luckily there will be an update, right? Okay. But then how can I get an update from my car? Like, ah, oh, I cannot. So I can get an update on my iPhone, but I cannot get an update on my on my car. And this is, for example, what blows us, um, blows our minds is uh, the Tesla cars. Again, the same <laughs> thinking hmm. is that you can have over the air update to your car and it just gets better with the software update. And my car is not a Tesla, but it's also very modern. It has lots of code and I should be able to update it quickly and not wait to go to the service and then maybe they will update it for me and then <laughs> and then usually they will charge some some you know some lots of money for, for just this small software update. Yeah. So it's crazy stuff. Yeah. Uh, and so I think it's time to wrap up. So um, I have so many more thoughts about it, obviously. Oh, this yes. is the, the short version yeah. built for all of you and built for Michael. Let's hope that the Falcon Heavy launch will be a success. Yeah, let's see tomorrow. Or, I mean, today, today, or right? a spectacular failure. Uh, yeah, we'll be watching it. Yeah, let's hope it, it's not a, a, a boring failure. If it just like fails to, to relight the, the second stage, it's going to be boring. If it explodes on path, at least we get that. Yeah, there's there's <laughs> like wanting blood and everything, but so but the best uh, the best part is that we will link to the launch anyway in the show notes because right. when when we launch the this podcast, the Falcon <laughs> Heavy will have launched by then. Yeah. True or false, uh, success or not? Let's see how this goes. Very exciting and and again, uh, it's a very exciting time to be um uh, to be alive because these things are new and they are really progressing very fast, which is cool. Yeah and. Uh, one weakest uh, is that uh, if you like this episode or you have thoughts or you'd like to hear more about rocketry from me, please 
uh, email me or tweet me or whatever. Yeah, after like four episodes of New Year planning, we thought, you know, we totally like had you, like, like we, we overplanned it for you guys and for, for ourselves uh, indeed. Uh, that's why we decided to do something completely different. But, mm-hmm. uh, and we want to do different things on this show and we have new books coming as well to review. But you know, if you like the rocket corner, which turned into the whole episode, <laughs> let us know and we'll be back. All right. 